755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. It is on the air now. Welcome back to 755 is real presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70 celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with my co-host Eric O'Flaherty back in the saddle. This second show back since he's, uh, since his, his, uh, his absence for daddy duties. What's up, Eric? How you doing, man? Good. I'm pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. A little tired from the West Coast. Uh, yeah. Weren't out there long enough to get used to the time zone change, you know? That's the only so, thing that worries me about the Braves schedule is those two uh, yeah. West Coast trips late. Yeah, I mean, people, you know, might think it's uh, it's not a big deal, you know, when you're traveling first class and staying in nice places and all this, but still your body, you get used to playing at a certain time. And their last month, they don't. They literally don't play a single game in the east or what road game in the eastern or central time zones. Yeah. All of their road trips in the last five weeks of the season are mountain or Pacific, and most of them are Pacific. Yeah, and you know, sleep's important. You can't just make a decision to fall asleep. So when you change, you change time zones like that. You go and you're waking up at six, seven a.m. Uh, yeah. on the West Coast. You got to be up all day for a seven o'clock game, and you could try to go back to sleep, but most guys are going to be up. So that kind of throws you off and then you come back and switch to the time zone right when you were starting to adjust to the other one. Yeah. And you're kind of, you know, having trouble falling asleep at night. So, you know, that, that, and then the longer flights, you know, that worries me a little bit, but you don't get to pick your schedule. So they just got to deal with it. Yeah. Well, they had better results dealing with it last night, Thursday yeah. night than they did in the previous three nights in LA. Yep. They, We'll get to last night's win. Last night was a big win, I thought, at Colorado, coming off of playing Wednesday night in L.A. and not getting a day off like the Dodgers were off yesterday before their big series at San Francisco. Braves were playing, and they played a night game in L.A., and then you travel to Denver and play a night game last night against Denver or against Colorado, which I know if people look at the standings and go, yeah, but it's the Rockies. Well, never mind it's the Rockies because they're an entirely different team at home than they are on the road. They got one of the best records in the majors at home. Yep. So, I mean, and they're playing them at home. They're not playing them on the road or neutral. So you got to go with what their record is at home. So yep. last night's win was big. But first, I know you had something you wanted to talk about, which was a big uh, kind of a, a turning point in Wednesday's 4-3 th- loss to the Dodgers out in L.A., which completed the three-game sweep by the Dodgers. And the Braves blew a 3-2 lead in the eighth inning of that game. And – I think it was the way it happened that annoyed a lot of fans and because they've seen, you know, some some of the bullpen moves that are questionable. Sometimes the maybe the fans don't understand everything that went into it because maybe a guy's unavailable or a guy has a little bit, you know, was a little sore when he got up to warm up, that kind of thing. So so there are reasons sometimes behind moves that people don't know about out there and, and, and the manager's not going to say, you know. and and But other times, like this one, I just thought it was a questionable. I thought the move raised some eyebrows, uh, including yours and mine, when Snit went to – well, let's set it up first. Max Scherzer pitched six dominant innings, three-hit ball, uh, no walks, nine strikeouts. But Max Free pitched really well for the Braves as well. Uh, and a couple solo homers, right? What's that? Just a couple solo homers. A couple well. solo homers, yeah. all he gave up. Eddie Rosario – Hits, who's been big since he got here, by the way, a week ago since he was activated. He hits a game-time two-run homer in the seventh inning off Bruce Dari Gratterall. I always get that. Bruce Dari Gratterall, yeah. Bruce Which, Dari even Gatterall. that move when Scherzer came out, of, it was like 
you know, that goes back to that Snell move in the, in the World Series that nobody agreed with. The Braves right. would have taken Randy Johnson out of the pen over right. Scherzer for one more inning. But I found out he had hamstring tightness or something. Yeah, so. during a warm-ups, he had hamstring tightness, and he wanted yeah. to get out of there before it got worse. Yeah, yeah. everybody – because everybody's like, why in the world is Scherzer out? He threw 76 pitches. He's yeah. dominant. Yeah. So, so the Braves got a break there, and they took advantage of it because I mean, not that the Dodgers bullpen is uh, is easy because it's not, but Gratterall is no. really good. But Rosario is, a, is was reminded everyone that he's a damn good hitter. Yeah. So he hits a home run uh, off of Gratterall, and the Braves took a three-two lead on Dansby Swanson's eighth-inning homer off Alex Vicia. Yep. So they got a three-two lead. You're thinking, okay, they're going to avoid the sweep. This is going to be a big win for the Braves. And the, the Dodgers respond with two runs in the eighth after Snitker took out Matzik and replaced him with Chris Martin with a runner at third base and two out. Matzik had come in and got the previous out, or got the third out of the previous inning. Yeah. Everybody knows about the, the, the scoreless streak that Matzik's been on, 17 appearances, I think it was at that time. Uh, he's been arguably in the last two months as good as any reliever in baseball. Yeah. But – so Snit takes him out. He'd gotten his three outs. Uh, he, he he takes him out. He had given up a double, and there was a runner at third and two out. He takes him out to bring in Chris Martin. And Chris Martin, I mean, let's be honest. This guy has not been a special reliever this year, especially since the sticky stuff uh, rules were put in place. To me, he's been just an average guy. He has not been the dominant reliever he was the previous two years. Yep. Well, Magic has been dominant. That move for me was, that was, you know, I always give managers the benefit of the doubt, and I hate to, to say anything about Snip because I love the guy, but that was the, a move where I was like, man, I don't know if I can back this one, even yeah. if it even if it worked out, because, you know, honestly, I know Matzik had thrown quite a few pitches and, and finishing the inning before, going back out, getting some trouble, but he just struck bets out. And for me, you know, even if he walks, he's probably going to walk or strike out Turner with the fastball he's got, or maybe get a pop-up or something like that. But I know the reasoning was, was you know, Turner was 0 for 7. Right. Off that of was the reasoning. Not, not and, that he'd gotten three outs. Yeah. Man, you texted just, me at the time. You were like, I don't know about this. Yes, I, like, I, I know. know I agree. And, I agree. Uh, we all I, raised our eyebrows, man, in the press box. I would have loved to be wrong, you know, but so, yeah, he struck out bets. That's the big thing that I didn't mention. He struck out bets. I mean, and Matzik has gone three or four outs before. You know, this yep. year he's gone. He, he Earlier in the year, he had a few of those appearances. Or last year, I mean, he can do it. And yep. this guy's been on such a roll right now. And right then, he just looks so pumped up and full of adrenaline. Looked like, I'm ready to get this third out. Well, you so, get that second one, and, and in your mind as a reliever, you're almost like, I'm out of this thing. Yeah. You know, because that inning can get way out of hand. And then you get that second one, and you think, all right, if I make some good pitches here, it's over. I don't – one run leads tough to pitch with, but – I, 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 yeah, I don't think so, I'm out there. So he brings in Chris Martin, runner third, two out. Martin immediately gives up a game-tying RBI single to Justin Turner. I mean, it's a damn good hitter, man. And a runner at third. And Chris Martin, fresh out of the pen. He's not been, like I said, he's not been that good this year, man. Especially since, you know, they started enforcing the sticky stuff. Other guys have learned to pitch with those new rules so far, he hasn't been that. I don't know if it's that or anything else. You know, earlier in the year, he had the forearm thing. but It could be banged up, too. I mean, overall, though, you know, the reasoning that came out was Turner was 0 for 7 off of Martin. Right. Then he issues but, a walk. Okay, so more trouble. And then A.J. Pollock comes up. 
and hits a hard hit single through the, another single through the left side, brings in a second run in the inning and gives the Dodgers a, and the place was so loud at that point. Yeah, that stadium was a cauldron. Forty-five thousand people there, and it just exploded with each of those moves, each of the hit, the walk. The hit. I mean, it was it was that at that point it was like you knew the Braves were done. Yeah, yeah, you knew it. So yeah, we asked Ned about it afterwards. I asked him. I said, "Was there any thought of leaving Matzikin to finish that inning?" And he said, "I liked the matchup with Justin Turner, uh, meaning with with uh, Chris Martin." Said he had never gotten a hit off Martin, and he was three for three for eight or something off Matzik. Okay, actually it was two for five off Matzik. Both of the hits, but most importantly, both of the hits came in 2014. That was when Matzik was a rookie starter for the Rockies, before yep. the Yips sidelined his career and almost ended his career. He was out of yep. Major League Baseball for four years. He pitched yep. some in 2015. Then he was out for four years. Everybody thought he was done. He pitches an indie ball. He makes uh-huh. his way back. He's a different guy now. This is a different yeah. guy. And I, I, so that, I just didn't think – I think any of his stats he had against guys, especially going that far back, are ir- almost irrelevant, totally yeah. irrelevant. Well, I've had I – had, I had situations like that in my career. We were in Colorado one time, and Ty Wheaton had taken me deep in 2006 or seven as a rookie with the Mariners. And I had a five ERA. You know, I mean, I was throwing the ball completely different. I hadn't even started throwing a sinker yet at that point. And I got taken out of a tie game, um, runner on second or something like that, scoring position. But it, to face Ty Wiginton, because he had been one for one with the home run off me, they thought it was a bad matchup. You know, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy's different now. You know, he's five, six, seven years older. He's not yeah. even in the lineup anymore. He's pinch hitting now. Yeah. And I that I was having the best year of my career. Totally different person too. So, you know, I I see a lot of times when those numbers get used. He's this and this against this guy. But you got to take into context when that happened. Yeah. You know, if it happened with Matzik when he was a starting pitcher, now he's in the pen and he's got an unhittable fastball. Um, you know that. That that's why I don't I don't like those moves ever you know unless unless when you're looking at that sheet and you're saying all right it was actually this this year he's yeah over last three couple off of years last you know? year he's over four often but even with Martin if you looked at Martin last year versus this year different guy I don't feel like the numbers mean anything so there's two different guys the matchups were were with both in both cases that he cited with Martin yep. that's a different guy having those hits against Matzik a different guy. So anyway, it backfired. The move backfired. Yeah. And, you know, he also said that he thought he had pretty much emptied the tank against when he struck out Which bets. is probably fair. Seven pitch at bat that he you struck know. out bet, at bets on. Which, okay. And if you want to take him out there, maybe you go with Luke Jackson. Because yeah. I feel exactly. good about Jackson against Turner, throwing him sliders. And, and you, you pitch Keep around. Keep the ball on him, the you ground. Know, like you don't have to give in to him. But Jackson had gone back-to-back days. So – that makes the decision tougher too. So maybe, you know, in Snit's mind, if you didn't feel good about Massick there, he went with the, the next best guy he could he could go with, which he felt like was Martin. You know, there there is always yeah. more to it, but when I saw that move, I was like, Yeah. This is not the move I'm making. You know, I am letting especially when a reliever's got a scoreless streak like that. Matzik's been in all kinds of yeah. jams this year and found a way to, to he really finally has. get, you know. If it's been walks or cheap hits or whatever, he's gotten out of some real sticky situations on a scoreless streak. I'm letting him ride that out. Okay, well, that loss, by the way, continued the Braves' 
this has been a really rough – it's never been easy. And You talked about this before the trip. It's never been easy to play out there. Braves have struggled a long time out there. Um, but at Dodger Stadium particularly in these last few years, it has been brutal in the last decade really. But since 2018, if you include the uh, postseason division series, they've lost nine in a row there and 12 out of 13. I mean, and the Braves, this is during the Braves' run of division titles again. This yeah. is the, I wonder how many of those were to kick off a road trip, too. You know, that, yeah. first, that first series. A lot of times, because time. I know I fly out there a lot of times on Sunday. You want to go there a day early and all that. Straight from yeah, Atlanta. They play the next yeah. day. So. It's always tough. I don't remember ever having a good series in L.A., even when I was with the Braves. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times they paired it with San Diego, but it's almost always going from L.A. to San Diego. It was never the reverse, because yeah. I know driving. I was driving down to San Diego afterwards in my rental car. But anyway, um, so that that cap, that capped off this uh, brutal eight-game stretch that the Braves had against Yankees, Giants, those two at home, and Dodgers out there. We knew those were going to be tough because they were coming off their best yep. stretch of the year, 16-2 and two run that had given the Braves control of the NL East that had pushed them from four games back to like five games ahead in the NL East. I think it was more or less there. Um, so they had handled that 18-game stretch better than anybody had expected. But they went through the uh, the eight-game eight stretch against those three teams, two and six, which, you know, I think it sounds even worse than it was because, the, okay, the two Yankee games – Yankees came in and played. The Yankees were playing the best ball of the year. They were streaking at the time. Hottest team in the league. They ended up winning, I think, 13 in a row. So then they take two out of three from the Giants. Those were big. I mean, those were those were yeah. kind of righted yeah. the ship for the Braves and said, okay, we are for real. I know we've been beating up on some bad teams, but these the Giants are legit, had the best record in baseball, have been leading the West all year. So those were really big wins. They win those two out of three. Gets them on the road to the West Coast, feeling great about it. You know, everything going out in the flight to L.A. And then they lose all three against L.A., but they easily could have won the last two of those games in L.A. The first game, they got there, they, yeah. got, they got it handed to them. They, even though they came back the first game, scored a couple of runs late, made it a 5-3 game, the Dodgers still handled them in that first game. We had a big lead. Yeah. But I thought they could have won games two and three in L.A. Well, I mean, that's, that's how the playoff yeah. series was against the two. You know, I mean, they could have won so many of those games and – I think when you look at it, the, the discouraging thing is you know that if you want to get to the World Series, yep. you're going to have go to go through L.A. Them. And so it sucks to get swept by them. Overall, I don't I don't think flying out to L.A. and having a bad series is a big deal, you know, in, in the season. But but if you're looking at the big picture, if that's the team we got to get past and we got swept yep. by them, you know, that that hurts. But you go two there and then you come back to Atlanta and play, it, play them at home. You wouldn't play three in a row right. in L.A. Right. in the playoffs. But – Either way, I look at it like, you know, that is just a damn good team. They are loaded, I mean, man. I think they've played, they've played well below their abilities all year to, to beat chasing the Giants, and the Giants have played a little yeah, above. Yeah, agreed. And I think the Giants, man, you got to give them credit because they've had the best record, and they're still tied for first. This is an epic series this weekend in San Francisco. I mean, I want to watch yeah. every inning of that series. The Dodgers and Giants this weekend tied up going in. I mean, it is going to be huge. If the Giants can win two out of three this weekend against the Dodgers, I mean, this could they that could pretty much settle the West. They still got obviously some big games to go. Both teams do, but this is pretty much the showdown. Um, 
you know, we just we just take we, we assume that you're gonna have to go through LA to get to the World Series. Well, the Giants are going. Well, what about us? We've been, we've handled it. Unlike the Braves, yeah. we've handled the Dodgers, and they have. But like you said, the Dodgers were not at their best all year. And the last time when the Giants no. beat them, they didn't have Trey Turner, I think, and they had some Scherzer. Right, they didn't have Scherzer, and Max Muncy was hurt. So they're yeah. a different team now. They are loaded from top to bottom, and that pitching staff is loaded. Bullpen's damn good. Um, it's 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 a really really strong Dodger team. I th- I think it's a better team than last year when they won the World Series. You had Scherzer and Trey Turner. <laughs> and Trey Turner. Yeah. They they're, they're tough. That's a I watch them and I'm just like this is an all-star yeah. team. But the Braves the Braves have you know? got a big a big piece of that team. The Braves have now though Jock Peterson. Jock Peterson was huge yep. in the postseason for the Dodgers every year. Braves yep. have got him now. And he stepped up again in that Dodgers series and showed. He gets up there, gets a standing ovation, his first start in the, in the second game of the series. And what does he do? He hits a home run. And he's, he's, and he's doing – Seven feet Yeah, and he's doing his arm up you know, with his fingers up going around. And it's like that dude just steps up, man. He's one of those guys got the clutch gene big, big time. Yeah. Big time guy. Yeah. So they yeah. are really going to have, have something uh, uh, in their pocket with having Peterson on the postseason roster, having this guy – Oh, for God, sure. they could have used him last year when they lost that series to the Dodgers, when they couldn't got, get a big hit. Remember how many laid up on base? Yeah. They could have had one guy come through with a big hit. Well, I'd, I'd feel as good about Peterson stepping up as anybody on a Braves team in a big situation in the playoffs. Well, he's got that, that – he's got that – what they did to beat the Braves last year was they just put together so many tough yeah. at-bats, like at-bat after at-bat after at-bat. And when you watch Jock come up with the game online – you know, sometimes you see him swing first, first yeah. pitch early in the game or something like that. But when he comes up in the eighth, I feel like every single at bat goes two, two, three, two, and he's putting good swings yeah. on him, even if he doesn't get the hit. Um, that, that's kind of that seems to be their hitting philosophy that the whole lineup does when the game gets tight. But um, yeah, I mean, him in a big situation would be—it's going to be fun to watch in the postseason. Yeah. Uh, Snit said about the series, he said, you come in here and play the world champions in their home ballpark. We knew it was going to be challenging. I mean, we had the go-ahead run at the plate in the first game, the 5-3 loss I was referring to, which I don't think it was as close as, as he made it out to be. But they did. He was right. They did. But that go-ahead run was really? vote. You know, if they could have had somebody else up, you might have. Um, then, they, they, then he said, and then we lost two one-run games. We're a hit away, a pitch away, making a pitch, the whole thing, yep. from probably winning two out of three. Yeah, uh, Max Freed stepped up big time. He's having he looks great. I think the two IL stints for him in the end are going to be a godsend for the Braves because otherwise he'd be approaching career highs and or over career highs in, in innings and all that. And instead, he looks really good right now. He's fresh. Ian Anderson's fresh. He knows fresh. And Charlie Morton is ageless, man. So uh, Freed pitched six strong innings in that loss in the third game out there. Gave up three hits, two runs on a pair of homers. One walk, nine strikeouts. That was big, I guess, that team. Um, and he said they left. They could leave L.A. with some positives, even though they got swept. And this was before they go to Colorado last night, which bore out what some of these guys said about leaving with positives. But he said, absolutely, I think we can compete with anyone. Obviously, it didn't end the way we wanted, but I knew we have a lot of confidence. No, we have a lot of confidence in this clubhouse, and we're just ready to get to Denver and get at it tomorrow. Uh, he said yeah. – the sweep, and even though they went two and six in that stretch, he said the teams we played are top teams. The Yankees are hot. When they came in and played against us, they were hot. And when we were in, and we were in each game, we just didn't have a big hit or just couldn't come up with two, a two base hit or anything or something. Uh, or this is Dansby Swanson talking here, and Dansby said 
And then against the Giants, I thought we played well. I thought we pitched well, the ball really well and had a lot of timely hitting. And then this series, meaning the Dodgers series, I mean, I feel like we just didn't hit consistently enough to give ourselves a chance, but I thought we pitched the ball pretty freaking great. He said it's yeah. easy to get down for losing three in a row, but I thought there was a lot of good things from the series. And I know just from talking to the guys after this game, there was really a good experience for us because this is what it's going to be like come the end of the season and on in the playoffs. So these are the kinds of things you need to go through, and I'm just glad to go through them now at the end of August, not in the middle of October. That was Dansby talking. He left. He felt feeling that's good. That's a great perspective. Yeah, he left feeling good. Yeah, about that's it. a great perspective to have. Um, and and it, it, you know, that's that's the mindset you have to have as a major league player. You know, you can't look at it as we got swept. You got to find the positives and look at it as like we were hit away in two of the yeah. games. We were, you know, in the, in the eighth inning of, of the last game, we were right there an out away from getting to our closer and, and maybe finishing it yeah. out. Um, it, I, I like that mindset, and they did. It wasn't like, you know, if you went in there and you just got right. rolled, and if they if they threw Charlie, Max, and Ian at him, you know, Smiley's probably not getting a start against those guys in the playoffs. No. You know, so that, that's game one. He gave He's up not getting home. another start, period, probably. Right. Yeah, so, I mean, you could look at that, too, and yeah. say game one, you know, the one that they got handed – Handed to him a little yep. bit. That one's not happening. You're throwing somebody better at him, and you look at the whole series different if you win the first one. But overall, not a terrible yeah. series. But it sucks to get swept, you know. And, and it's hard to it's hard to look past losing three in a row. But but you have to be able to do that as a player. And that's why I thought getting swept and then not having a day off and flying to Denver <laughs> Could be and nasty. playing a a, a a team a Denver a Colorado team that's damn good at home. That's why I thought last night's win was so big. And then you get down, you give Tuki yes. Toussaint the start, and he starts game one, and he gives up five runs in the first three innings, and he's gone, and you're gone to your bullpen after three innings. It could have been a day. It could have out. been a disaster. It could have been one of those Coors Field yep. twelve to three losses, and instead they come back and win. And the bullpen was dynamic last night. I thought last night's yep. win erased any bad feeling from the Dodgers series. Like they yeah. said, they came away from the Dodgers series knowing they can compete with L.A. out there. And then they go to Colorado and win that first game. So I thought, on balance, the whole four-game, four-day stretch was a positive, a net positive, because that was such a big win last night. you got to follow it up because you got three more games yep. in Colorado. But I thought last night's win was pretty huge. Well, you know who was huge was Wes. Yes. Because if he comes yes. in, if if he comes in and gets torched, and he can only go one inning, and then you got to get deep into your pen, you're wrecked for the whole series. But him coming in and throwing those two innings, what he throw? He threw two, two innings, innings, struck a couple one, out, one hit, two clean, no innings. walks. Yeah, yep. Rolled through those two innings and gave him a shot to get back in it, and they did. And then the rest of the pen did their yeah. job. Uh, anytime you have your pen go scoreless in Colorado, yeah. you got a six really innings good shot of winning that game. Six scoreless out of yeah. your pen because you know you're scoring some runs there regardless. So yeah, that that was a big win. I mean, they could have easily when Tuki gave up the five spot. You know, you could have had some bad juice yeah. in, that, in that dugout, but to fight and get back in a game like that in Colorado is not. And easy. keep in mind, we got to mention that they played the last two games, the one in L.A. and the one here without Ozzy Albies. He got he hit that, and, and yep. they and that was another thing that came out of, of L.A. feeling really thankful about because that could have been disastrous. I mean, when he fouled that ball off his left knee, I thought it was fractured. The way he went down and stayed down, 
we got carried and off. And it was the field. straight to the kneecap, you know. So that's the kind of thing that can easily fracture the bone. You know, you can be the toughest guy in the world; it doesn't matter when you hit direct shot fastball, barely tipped it, and it went right off the knee. Walker, that was yeah. That was. Uh, I thought, okay, if they lose Ozzy uh, to a fractured knee, he's not going to be back for the postseason. He's going to be out. So yeah. they're going to be piecing that together, and, and that's not good. That's not good, and he's your leadoff guy. He's been a really good leadoff guy, even though he's not an at- he's an atypical leadoff guy. He's done well there, and they've responded. But the defense, everything he gives you, that would have been huge. So he's taken infield last night, and, was, and Smith thought he was actually going to be able to play, which would have been pretty crazy to be back after just one game. But I think he's going to be in there tonight. But they played – nevertheless, they played that game without him last night with uh, Adrian's at second, and they win. So – um, they go, they go last night, Tukey gives up five runs in the first three innings. And like you said, Jacob Webb pitches two scoreless innings, a one hit ball. And that's his first game back from triple a, you know, I mean, yeah. he's been down he got to in Colorado. That's a tough, yes. tough place to land too. And Solaire has a big Homer. Solaire has been just the, the, the trade that yeah. kind of when they made it, we're all like, really? What, what do they need Solaire for? And that was the same thing I had with Rosario. I'm like, they got Duvall. It was like, okay, that's all you needed for out- outfielders. But instead, Solaire and, Duvall, and now Rosario both have been big so far, but Solaire's been huge. This guy's been a really good addition. And he hits the home run early, keeps him in it early. But Adam Duvall comes up last night with a three-run monster home run that was and I mean literally and figuratively because it was that important it turned a 5-3 deficit into a 6-5 lead in the fifth inning which was the last run of a game which is crazy at Coors Field that nobody scored in the last four innings but it was monster shot they called it 477 feet if that was a foot less than 495 I'd be surprised because it was it was up on that left field concourse Above the left field bleachers, up there where they have the concession stands on that concourse, it was a blast, man. I wonder with the stat cast if it just has a formula to calculate distance. Like it says, all right, one ten with this much backspin at this launch angle, yeah, right, equals four seventy seven. I wonder if it takes into account the thin air or not, because that ball, I mean, where it, where it hit was probably four seventy seven, but it's got another ten to fifteen yeah. twenty feet to fall down and keep going. Yeah, I, I question. I question some Statcast numbers here. Now. Yeah, most of the time I like the estimates, but there's sometimes where you're scratching your head, like last year with the the Ozuna homer at, at Boston. You're like, what? And yeah. this one was the same way because we've seen quite a few 495 home runs this year, 490, 495, and to me this one was every bit as long as that. I know it's tougher to tell when it's not closer to center field. It, maybe it's an illusion, you know, when it's down. But this wasn't down the line either. This was to left, left center. Left center. Yeah, yeah, and it was. Woo, it was a bomb. Um, he said it was the farthest ball he ever hit. Yeah, right? he did. And he's hit some 480, 490s too. So, uh, yeah, he said that was probably the longest ball I've hit. And he's talking about minors too because he hit some moonshots in the minor leagues too that, when he was a triple-A that year. Um, so, that was, it gave him, by the way, 30 homers. Tatis is the only guy in the NL with more homers than Adam Duvall, which, uh, you know, again, it's why it's why batting average isn't that important with certain hitters. And with him, it's just not important because he does so much damage when he puts the ball in play. And he's also got 90 RBIs. He's only yeah. he's second in the league. He gets to 100. He's going to have he's going to have 100 easy. This yeah. guy might hit 35 to 40 homers and 110 115 RBIs. 
Carlos Pena made a career out of hitting in the low 200s and hitting 30, 35 a year. Yeah. You know, so, he had a job every year back before it was cool. And I think uh, I think one of the most important stats, and one you don't hear very often, I looked it up again last night to make sure it was still the case, he leads the major leagues in home runs with runners on base. Leads the major league. Yeah. 20. 20 of his 30 home runs have come with runners on base. Otani's had 46 home runs. Less than 20 of them have come with runners on base. Yeah, I mean, it's back to that clutch gene. You know, lock it in, lock it in when there's, you know, if they get bad, guys on the ducks on the pond, you know, just a chance to do damage. Some guys, some guys get better in those situations and some guys clam up. He seems to get better. Yeah. I think it's 46 for Tony, right? Or is uh, it 42? It's enough. I'm not sure. <laughs> he's pitching too. Yeah. But he said less than, less than half of them have been with runners on base. Um, Duvall said, yeah, I know I hit it really well. I think I sprung this ball that I've hit in my career, so I knew I hit it really well, but there was but there was no doubt about that. I didn't see where it landed. I kind of put my head down and got it going, but I was able to see it later in the dugout because he's not one of those guys that pimps it either. He puts the head down, starts yeah. his right. He, he, it was already, it was, he was running the bases before it landed. So um, he also made a catch last night in center field because he only moved to center field last week. Uh, when they got Rosario, Rosario's more comfortable on the left, and that's where Duvall was playing. So Duvall moves to center a lot of the times now with him and Peterson are both playing it. Um, and he had not played center before this year. With He played seven games with the Marlins. But fortunately, that's that's a huge park down there too in Miami. But Coors Field, as you know, yeah. you've taught, it's the biggest outfield yeah. in the majors. So to play center there, you got to be able to move some and cover some ground. He caught a ball last night against the wall, back against the wall, glove up saved extra base hits i thought it was going to be gone and he said he covered a lot of ground drifting back it was pretty impressive but he said the bullpen because you know yeah. where that bullpen is there with the trees and everything said the guys in his bullpen were directed him going walls coming up while yeah. yelling to him and so he kind of knew, had an idea where the wall was he said but he still didn't realize where he was until he caught it and he bumps against the wall as he as he's catching yeah it. i mean it looks easy but on tv nice but when you've run you know yeah. 20 30 40 feet for a ball you got to have a pretty good feel, especially moving to center and coming from left. That wall can sneak yeah. up on you. He said, uh, "He said, yeah, that center field is pretty big." He said, "But but being able to put your head down and run after a ball, you got a lot of room to cover." I mean, I like those plays. He said, "It's fun to chase down balls in the gap and over your head." That's something that I've worked on in the off season and throughout the year. Is going to get those guys. Um, going to get those balls, being able to make that play tonight, that was huge. He's right. It's fortunate that he did work on that in the offseason because that's really came into play a couple of times and, and none more than last night. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, it's back to the bullpen, too. If one of those guys falters going to him so early, you know, you're, you're losing that game. To have to get six innings out of the pen scoreless. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good sign going forward, too. And Rich Rod again, man. This guy, you can absolutely use him Anytime. any spot, any spot. Which going from closing just, to, I mean, sometimes he's coming in in the fifth inning, sixth inning. Now he's, yeah. It's not easy to swallow your ego and pride like that. And and you know, I think coming from Pittsburgh for him, he's probably just like, look, throw me whenever I want to win. Yeah, they've got a group now. They got to feel really good about. It. They're all healthy right now. Um, with Luke. Say what you will about Will Smith, but he got his 30th save last night. I mean, I know it's uh, a lot of times it's hard in the throat, but last couple since everybody bitched have been pretty solid. And 
Snit's going to ride with him as long as he doesn't blow a couple of saves. He's riding with him, so get used to it. But I think he's been done a pretty good job, and at worst, you can move him to a setup spot, and he's going to be good there because he, he thrived in that before. But again, Snit said no indication he's moving him out of there. But with Luke, Will Smith, now if Jacob Webb pitches like he did last night, um, uh, I mean, obviously, Matzik has been just dynamic. Mentor has been really good since he got back from AAA. Uh, am I leaving anybody out? I mean, it's a it's a nice uh, uh, core group of guys. Oh, and Jesse Chavez, Chavez how can I leave him huge. out? He's coming to so many yeah. games that could have been blown open and gotten out of jams or thrown a big inning, just like he did yesterday. That that keep the team in it. So Chris Martin has a, he was your he was all right, he was your best reliever the last two years. Chris Martin, right now he's not one of your top five probably, and but yet they're getting it done without without him doing his usual stuff. I mean, Jesse Chavez coming up, you know, journeyman coming up from AAA midseason has been huge. Uh, Webb going down after hitting Pilar in the face. I, I mean, that could have been that could have been a season-ending type thing yeah. for him as far as viability for the big leagues. And him coming back and pitching like he did last night at Coors Field, that was big. And then those other guys, like I've said, they've shown no signs of, of slowing lately. Yeah. And, and I think Snitz used them well, too. He hasn't overused anybody. They're all pretty fresh. Um, I think he's done a good job with the pen and, and not abusing anybody, not using anybody three days in a row, that kind of thing. That depth thing, too, you know, the depth of, of being able to – if you don't have anybody down there you feel good about to take Tukey out when they did. Yeah. Which I give, I give Tukey a pass yesterday. It's his first time pitching at Coors Field. And you yeah. can see it with his breaking ball. You know, I mean, yeah. you get into this funk where – Absolutely. You throw your normal breaking ball and it just spins. So you try to overcorrect and you yank it. And and Tukey without his curveball is a different pitcher. But it takes a time or two. You know, he didn't get a chance to throw a bullpen there. If he would have, if he would have started game three or four and had a chance to throw a pen in that air and adjust and yep. throw his breaking ball. But you come from L.A. where it's somewhat consistent to go to Coors. And, I mean, you wind up hanging it, hanging it. And then you, then you overcorrect and, and yank it into the dirt. And then you kind of find it. And then – you know, the next inning you forget you're in course field again and throw your normal curveball and you hang it again. Um, that's a challenge that most pitchers, you know, aren't ready for the first time in course field. Nobody is. So, I mean, I give him a pass. I didn't think he threw terrible. I think he just had to pitch with, without his normal yeah. ar- arsenal, and, and that's a big adjustment to make. But, again, Snit having the confidence to, to go to, to Webb, Chavez, you know, and, and all the way down that line and get him through that game, that's huge because there's going to be starts in the playoffs where – you know, maybe not a five spot out of your starter, but you give up two or three and the guy looks shaky. If you have that depth and you feel like, all right, this is not looking good. They're on his stuff. Yeah. Maybe he's getting through it, but he's getting a lot of lineouts. You can yank your starter and go to guys like Webb and Chavez early and feel good about them getting you through those, you know, four, fifth, six innings to the to the aces in your pen. Yeah, I don't think uh, – I mean, even though everybody's aware of the course field effect and how, uh, how many runs are scored there, I don't think they really quite understand – how difficult it is to throw a curveball there, what that does to your spin rate and all that, you know, and, 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 and the ball still, even though they have the humidor, the ball still aren't normal out there once you get them out in the air and everything. But I mean, I just haven't seen many guys throw a good breaking ball curveball at Coors Field over the years ever. And if you can't throw that breaking ball, you don't see the, those fall out. You don't see the breaking balls that just big breaks like you do elsewhere, not at Coors Field. Well, if you like the thing is when you pitch there, if you if you get the right angle, the right spin, the right release point, it's gonna do what it's supposed to. But if you're off by a hair, yeah, you know that that there's just no room for error. If you're off by just a tick with your release point or or the angle you release the ball, the spin, the way it comes out of your hand, yeah, it's like from from a good pitch to zero worst nothing. 
Right. You know, so it's like it just amplifies your mistakes so much because you'll see pitchers throw an okay breaking ball and it'll still get enough movement on it to where they get a ground ball or foul or it gets fouled off or they just miss yeah. the zone. And in Coors, like if you miss with your release point or spin, it'll just hang up in the other batter's box. It's not even an effective pitch. You're just 1-0 on the guy. And then you try it again and you yank it because you're yeah. trying to overcorrect. Now you're 2-0 and you got to throw a fastball. Yeah. So it's just it's just a different animal for you know Tuki. I give him a free pass for not being dominant yesterday. Yeah, he'll get another chance. It's not gonna be, he's not gonna get yanked out of the rotation. I think he's gonna replace uh, at least for now and see what happens if Tuki's gonna have to fall on his face not to handle not to be in that rotation. I think the rest of the way because Smiley, that was a bad start in L.A. and I think Snit they, they were at their their the end of their patience with him. So we'll see. Uh, they got a stretch coming up where they're probably gonna need six guys. So he'd probably get a start then. Uh, where they play like 13 games plus that's uh, the conclusion of that suspended game in San Diego in a 13-day stretch. So yeah, um, here's that stat on Adam Duvall: uh, the th- the 20 uh, home home runs of his 30 total, 20 have come with runners on base. Next is Vlad Guerrero, who has 19 homers with the runners on base, and Salvi Perez. Mm. What a year that guy's having, man! Yeah, Feels great, and he's such a good dude. That's good to see that man. Um, second most in the NL home runs with runners on base. Pete Alonso, 17, and Duvall's got 20. Shohei Otani, 42 homers total, 26 with bases empty. Um, and one other thing, five of Adam Duvall's 10 total hits at Coors Field, career hits, five have been homers. home runs. <laughs> Two doubles there, so seven of his 10 hits. Yep, and Riley looked pretty good yesterday, too. Got big hit, big, double. big hit. Riley just continues having it. I mean, he's, 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 he's going to get MVP votes, man. And lately, he's moved ahead of Freddie. And overall, if you look at – because people are going to line up the stats and go, he's having a better year than Freddie, just overall stats. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I mean, Freddie, he, I appreciate his season because of how bad he started. Yeah. But, yeah, I, when you look at it overall, I mean, if if Riley gets – what's he got? He's got RBIs in the 80s right now. If he gets to 100 and, and hits the way he's been hitting this year. OPS, the I, average, I he's over, be, hitting over 300, well over 300. Yeah. Got tons of doubles, got like 28 doubles. Those are superstar yeah. numbers. Yeah, while playing really solid D at third base. Yep. So he's going to be it. I mean, I did a story this week on him, and it was cool to talk to him about it. Mike Brumley, I, I got Mike Brumley on the phone. And to hear that dude, have you ever met Mike Brumley? Mm-mm. It's really fascinating to hear his approach because it's different than any other hitting coach I've heard. He talks about the whole. He's connected with with he connected with uh, Riley from day one in Double A when Riley that was the year that Brumley came to the Braves as a minor league hitting coordinator. He spent years out with the Mariners. His other guy, by the way, is Sager out there with the Mariners. He knew Sager coming up, yeah. and he so he was on his swing for like seven years. So he was kind of his pre-Riley Riley. Sager was his other guy. And he bounced around. He was assistant hitting coach with the Cubs. He was in over to China for a year as a hitting coach. I mean, this is a guy that he's one of those hitting gurus that with certain guys, they connect with him. Duvall was another of his guys. When Duvall spent most of a year in AAA, worked a lot with Brumley. But he really mm-hmm. connected with Riley in that year in AA when Riley really took off. And he talks to them all. He talks to them about things. First of all, he just develops this bond with him because he's another country boy, grew up in Oklahoma. He talks to Riley about fishing, hunting, bow hunting, all this stuff. They talk about golf. And he applies stuff about golf, like to hitting. So where Riley yeah. connects with it, like, yeah, his body already moves in these motions, in these movements in golf. And he applies 
that to hitting. And it just connects with him. There's certain guys that, you know, I'm sure it's the same way with pitching, with pitching coaches. Some guys might not have overall success with everybody, but with certain guys that clicks. So you go to him. And I heard Frenchie talking about it last night, how Wellman was his guy and how he still talks to Wellman, you know, but he talked to him throughout his career sometimes. But Raleigh says whenever he gets into a, 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 a kind of a rut and sometimes even before, even up. before he even contacts um, Brumley, Brumley will contact him. Like there'll be a text waiting when he gets out of a bad game and Brumley will have sent him. Hey, you want to chat? <laughs> long thing. He goes, he'll send me like a book, a long text saying all these things on what I'm doing. And he goes, and I look at it. And if not then, then Riley will send him video of his couple of his swings. And a lot of times, Brumley, I already looked at it. You didn't even have to send it to me. Here's what you're doing. And Riley will go, and he's right, and I'll get back the next day. So I'm just like, he's been a godsend for him. I mean, he's got, they got, he's got all these great hitting coaches that he can talk to on, you know, on a daily basis, you know, with Chipper and with Kevin Seitzer and with Nachi and Magalons. But Mags has also – worked with Brumley in the minor leagues too. So that really helps. He's kind of been, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is Bobby Mack's first season on the, on the, with the major league staff. Bobby's like a direct connection between Brumley and Riley. So he's got basically Brumley is a assistant basically there all the time. A guy that he's worked with all the time. So this is, it's really in place. Good things are in place with Riley as far as having guys eyes on him that he can trust and that connect with him all the time. But it was fascinating to hear him talk to Brumley, uh, talk with about his relationship with Brumley, and Brumley talking about because he's fly, he flies down to Texas every winter and stays with Brumley for like a week, working with him at his hitting yep. school, and uh, uh, to hear Brumley talk about how he wants his hitters to embrace the emotions of the game and the uh, the the emotional swings and yeah. all that. So he says just embrace all that, and it's hard to kind of really describe it, but it works for him. And Riley is really comfortable with this guy. Well, you know what else is huge is you don't have ego-driven coaches at the major league level. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of organizations, the, the, the guys in the big league level, if, if Riley keeps bringing up Brumley, 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 they're going to get their egos hurt. Yep. They're going to want it to be about them and yep. they're going to want them to do, do their stuff. Having the coaches the Braves have that are just – all they want to do is win. Yeah. You know, if, if Seitzer – I guarantee Seitzer doesn't give a shit if, if, if Brumley gets all the credit. Absolutely. As long as his guys are hitting. So – I mean, that's another really cool thing about the Braves coaching staff is they just got pros that can swallow their pride and and let him call that guy, let him text him, let him bring him up in interviews and not get threatened or think they're going to lose their job or he's going to, you know, take their spot. Um, that's huge, too, that, you know, on, in a lot of organizations, you know, you wouldn't think it, but yeah, that'd be a major problem. And just like when Chipper came on board, there's a lot of hitting coaches that would have had wanted yeah. nothing to do with that. I don't want a yeah. Hall of Famer being a, a, yep. a hitting advisor on this team and being at all the home games in uniform, standing at the batting cage behind, talking to guys. A lot of guys would have felt threatened that aren't secure at their state, like yep. starting out as hitting coaches first five years maybe, you know, or yep. borderline could get fired. Seitzer could give a shit, like you said. Seitz is like, you know, yep. he, he's bounced around. He's been with – he's had great success with the Blue Jays, with the Royals, now with the Braves. You know, he had a hip replaced yeah. in the middle of this season, went through hell. He, he embraced having Chipper there and being able to talk to yep. a guy like Dansby Swanson, who Chipper's had a lot of success with, and, and Riley, too. And uh, he, he, he embraces having it. Three assistants, you know, basically his hitting coaches. And, and that's yeah. huge. And it's not easy. It's way easier, than, way harder than you'd think for a guy to just be like that and accept it all. But that's really cool. Yeah. So, anyway, that's uh, 
Just uh, just a couple more stats before we go here. On uh, the, here's one that I thought I could not believe I had to look at it twice, but the Braves have four of the NL's top ten RBI leaders right now, and Freddie's not one of them. Can you imagine? And Acuna's obviously not one of them. So if somebody had told you going into September, Braves are going to have four of the top ten RBI leaders, and two of them are not going to be Freddie Freeman or Ronald Acuna, you'd have been like, holy shit. I would have thought they were both hurt. (laughs) Duvall, 90 RBIs. Albies, 86. Riley, 82. Swanson, 79. Dansby's having a huge year, man. He is. Freddie's 22nd with 72 RBIs. A lot of that's hitting where he is in the order. They, They pitch around him. Riley's been driving in everybody. Dansby's driving in a lot. Ozzy obviously drives in a lot from the first spot in the order. Guys that he's getting from the bottom of the order getting on base. So there's factors that go in that. It's not like it's not to diminish the season Freddie's having at all. No, it's just that, you know, it's Freddie being able to let those, to take his walk in those yep. situations. Doesn't have, you know, instead of hitting into a double play, he'll just be like, all right, they're not going to pitch to me. He knows the guys behind him will get him. Yeah, no doubt. So. It's been mad, but if they get to the playoffs, win the division, get to the playoffs, we're going to look back at the season and go, how did they do that again? Yeah. They lost Riley before the All-Star break. I mean, they lost uh, Acuna before the All-Star break. Acuna. Freddie did almost nothing in the first, you know, however many games of the season. I mean, this is uh, – they've had some guys step up, and some guys have really uh, – they, they caught fire at the right time. I think this, this is important this weekend at Colorado. I think they need to at least win one of those and ideally win three out of four out in Colorado to really yeah. – and, and that way they can kind of forget what happened in L.A. if they've probably already forgotten anyway but because uh, of reasons we said. But I, these are pretty big because the Phillies – we talked about this. The Phillies have the easiest schedule in the majors the rest of the way. I mean, yeah. they are playing they cupcakes almost every series. So they got to keep yeah. winning. The Braves can't take the foot off the gas at all. And they need to clean up against the, the few easy opponents, or relatively easy they have. And they also got to play tough against these because they got still got to go back out and play at San Diego and at San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, they got to. They, these are the wins you got to take. But it, you know, like you said, it's not it's not ever easy going into Colorado, and this team happens to play really well at home. So three out of four would any if you take three out of four in Colorado against their best or any team. Yeah, it's a, it's huge. All right, that's it. Uh, plenty to talk about with this team. It's going to be an exciting weekend, and then uh, going forward, man, this is uh, this September is going to be fun. There's no doubt. This is everything you could have hoped for September yep. baseball. And this NL East race, it's two teams. I think the rest of the way, and it's going to be tough. 162 games, and somehow a bunch of teams always wind up one or two games apart every year. And, and the Mets always end up messing it up, and they did that again this week. The front office did that this week. <laughs> Every time. You can't even imagine that. The day after after they have to step in and, uh, and, and, and apologize for one of their players giving a thumbs down, which was basically giving the middle finger to the fans, then their, their acting GM gets a DUI. I mean, come on, man, the Mets. I promise you, though, that the GM getting a DUI doesn't affect the clubhouse at all. <laughs> no. You know, they probably no, laugh about that. Some of them are laughing about it yeah. probably, especially yeah. if they don't like him. That's not going to affect their play as much as getting criticized no. by the owner or booing their fans right. and dealing with the media. But, but still, it's still a Mets just thing. Just a shit show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's it. 7.55 is real. We'll be back on Monday or Tuesday. Thank you. Thank you.